glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exists, who equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. My name is Marshall. And if you haven't already noticed, I have decided to uh, re-enter puberty. <laughs> that's that's right. You need some honey lemon tea there, Tim, I think. <laughs> My voice is all over the place. But this is where producer Alex is going to shine. This is where he's going to earn his money. That's right. Which is nothing. Uh, <laughs> but this is where he's really going to come through. I expect... I expect that at the end of this podcast there to be like this like James Earl Jones kind yeah. of richness Smooth to the butter. voice there. Yeah. Right, like a Ligon <laughs> maybe maybe a Ligon Duncan a Ligon kind of a sound. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> that's what that's what we're going for there Alex. So uh if you could just uh work your magic that'll that'll work out. <laughs> so here we are working our way through the uh the read through the Bible plan. We're still mm -hmm. in we're back in Genesis. Yeah. Actually not still in, but back in Genesis. What are our readings this week? So we're Genesis 12 through 29. So that's a pretty big chunk. That's the, the call of Abraham right up through Jacob marrying Leah and Rachel. All right. So in some ways, in some ways, this is where the story begins, mm -hmm. right? So in, in the first week, we talked about how the, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are the primeval prologue, that opportunity to set the stage for why the story needs to take place, who the characters are going to be, that this is an interaction between God and mankind, and, and what needs to take place. And that is creation is broken and needs to be redeemed. And now we see that take place. So here we are looking at the theological themes, those themes that are going to run through the Scripture, the, the redemptive narrative uh, unfolding before us. What are the theological themes that we're going to see take place? And, and we've got quite a few of them this week. It's going to be kind of heavy on that at the beginning because mm -hmm. this is the initiation of all these things. Mm -hmm. The one that we can't look past, the, the most prominent one, is this is the inauguration of the redemptive narrative. Yeah. So far we've had God's plan to create a good world, Man bringing sin into that world and failing time and time and time again to uh, to prove that he can himself make things right. Just showing the sinful nature of man uh, through all of those stories of of Noah and the Tower of Babel, mm -hmm. uh, through Cain and Abel, those kinds of things. Yeah. And and now we have God reaching into time and selecting for himself someone who is going to be the person of promise. And he reaches in and chooses Abram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. God is not the kind of God who just kind of sits back and lets things just kind of play out on their own forever. He is a God who is active in uh, within his creation, right? He, he, he steps into this situation in order to, to redeem it. So Yeah, so in Genesis chapter 3, he talks about this enmity that's going to take place between the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, mm -hmm. uh, and that the seed of the woman will prevail. Mm -hmm. And here we actually see the beginning of that story take place. How is it that the seed of man, uh, the seed of the woman, is going to prevail over uh, the seed of Satan? And, and so the redemption narrative begins here in uh, chapter 12. Sometimes I, I, I like to mention that we divide naturally and for good reason Scripture into the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think that's a reasonable place to divide. But you can also divide Scripture and all of humanity into Genesis 1 through 11 hmm. and then Genesis 12 through 10 seconds ago. Right. right? The, the God <laughs> unfolding the plan yeah. that he has for redeeming mankind. Uh, another theme that we're going to see come up, uh, begin here, that we'll continue through all of our reading through the year, uh, that God is the initiator of redemption. 
-hmm. There is not uh, evidence in this that mankind is saying there must be a God and I want to know him. Right. I want to be used by him Mm -hmm. and I need him to save me. But instead, Mm -hmm. God reaches into mankind and chooses him and and it is he that initiates redemption. We also see timing in waiting for God's plan. Yeah, timing is is huge um, throughout the book of Genesis. A lot, a lot of waiting. I think sometimes it's really easy to kind of skip over this idea that like, like sometimes 10, 20 years have passed because um, we just kind of read that in a sentence. But I mean, that's a, that's a long time. It's a long time to be waiting on the fulfillment of God's promises. But oftentimes that's that's how he operates, right? He is not, he is not, um, a servant to our own schedules. Um, he operates in his wisdom in, in a timing that is often uh, beyond what we understand or sometimes often, you know, even frustrating from our perspective. Yeah, and it's not even just waiting within a lifetime. There's generational waiting. Yeah, sure. Right? So the, the promise that God is going to make great the nation of Abraham uh, that we're going to see in this week's reading and and the uh, that his offspring would be numbered as the stars in the sky, as the dust of the earth, mm-hmm. and that they will be a blessing to all nations. It, it doesn't take place in yeah. his lifetime. He doesn't see it. Or in the lifetime of his son, mm-hmm. or of his grandson, yeah. or of his great-grandson, mm-hmm. right? These things are, are a generational waiting, and, and that seed of promise that is to come doesn't take place for couple thousand years. Yeah, seriously. Right? So so the idea of, of God bringing about his plan in his time, uh, the idea that God is the sole curator of his plan. There are a lot of people in these first stories that take into their own hands the plan of God. Yeah, and it almost universally does not end well. It's uh, it's kind of an interesting an interesting theme that kind of runs throughout uh, the, the story of the patriarchs is every time they try to take the situation into their own hands, try to have their own way, try to force the situation, um, it, it rarely works out in their best interest. I think you're being overly gracious. I, maybe I, I, think, I think it never works out. <laughs> I, I, maybe maybe there's that cause to be cautious and say, well, there there is that one time that stops it from being a superlative, never works out for them, uh, whatever. Let's, I think we can safely go with it doesn't work out for mankind to say, I'm going to take this into my own hands. And, and we see that a number of times where people say, hey, this, this needs to take place, mm-hmm. and uh, it's even the promise of God, mm. I'm going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it happen. My own time, my own terms. Right. Uh, then the last thing we want to talk about is the state of humanity, even under God's call. Yeah. Right. So in the prologue, we look at the state of humanity and we talked about this within the story of Noah. Right. Every thought of man's heart was only evil all the time. Yeah. Right. That that mankind is not righteous mm-hmm. and that we struggle with selfishness and sin and mm. and we we are incapable of redeeming ourselves and, mm-hmm. and living that perfect life. Yeah. But then you think about the call of God to save people and that he's going to set up these people that he's going to use to bring about his glory. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, surely those would be good people. Yeah, you'd be wrong. Right? right? <laughs> Muhammad, think that. Muhammad thought that, right? So yeah. in, the, in the Quran, when he rewrites some of these Old Testament stories, these people are, are far more noble mm-hmm. in the Quran than they are in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so uh, those are those are some of the major themes, and, and I, I think that last one is one that we we need to really remind readers as you're going into this, mm-hmm. understand that this is a narrative, yeah, right, and it is telling us what happened mm-hmm. historically, mm-hmm. and not what should happen. Exactly. Yeah, I was having a chat with someone just yesterday, and we were kind of talking about the distinction of what is descriptive, so just kind of describing what happened versus 
what's prescriptive, which is saying, this is what you ought to do. You ought to emulate this act or behavior. And a lot of times, particularly in Old Testament narrative, there's going to be a lot of descriptive and a lot less prescriptive sometimes. So uh, we have to keep that in mind as we're reading through that uh, even though, you know, Abraham is often kind of set up as this, um, this person to emulate, it's his faith that ought to be emulated, not necessarily his behavior. And not universally his faith. That, well, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, yeah. So that's a look at the forest. Those are the major themes that we're going to be seeing in this reading. So, so what are the what are the trees? What are the events that lead up to this uh, these greater narratives? Okay, yeah. So I mean, starting right off the get go, uh, chapter twelve, the call of Abraham. Yeah, and why does the Bible say that he chooses Abraham? It it just doesn't. It, it doesn't. There's there's no no basis that we are aware of other than God's just divine knowledge and wisdom. Right. And that's it. That God would set apart Abraham yeah. for himself yeah. and say, uh, I'm going to do this and it's going to be through you. Yeah. And and to his credit, he responds in faith. Yeah. And it has counted him as righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was reading um, earlier that that Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, you know, at the time was kind of this center of civilization. And it's not the kind of place you'd want to leave. I mean, it was it was kind of a, a prosperous, um, cultured place and so to be called away from that into you know the badlands so to speak into the wilderness into the wilds of, of the outer world um, that was it that was a significant call that was you know not not a small ask on, on God's part yeah and, and I was reading InterVarsity Press has this book called the the story of Israel and and in that the author was was uh, I in fact I don't think it was his I think it was a citation of another author mm-hmm. uh, saying that that there is something of Abraham that is a second Adam, a, a type mm. of Adam, in that the story sort of reboots. We have one man mm. who is called apart to, from him, be the the nations that God would use to bless the earth and, and to be his chosen people and in some ways have dominion over that. And, and the promised land becomes a sort of new Eden. Now, I, I want to be very careful, I and I don't think the author would do this either, to call him a second Adam is is insufficient because that would mean Christ is a third Adam. Right. Uh, but Christ is the second Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but to say that he is a kind of Adam and a kind of restart of the story and and a breath of of life and redemption of God's creation uh, is pretty accurate because this is where the story fires up again, yeah. right here in the middle of this calling. It's yeah. it's almost a, a creation narrative all over again. Mm. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, so then shortly thereafter, after this this initial call of Abraham, um, they actually end up, uh, Abraham and Sarah end up in Egypt. Um, there's a famine in the land, and they end up sojourning uh, in Egypt, which is kind of this, well, we'll, we'll read about this type of thing happening uh, again and again throughout uh Throughout the scriptures, but yeah, so they end up they end up the the, the couple travels to Egypt, and uh, and Abraham decides to. Uh, to play his wife off as his sister, right? Which is maybe one of those uh, uh, descriptive and not prescriptive things that we were talking about. You know what? I, I was going to save this for my highlight, but is it is it tiptoeing into toxic masculinity to say <laughs> to say that he needs to be a little more of a man than this? Right yeah. he, here, he's going into the land, and, and it, it, we're gonna we'll talk about it later. But this actually happens three times in this week's reading alone. Yep, yep. That we have uh, twice Abraham, once later his son, mm-hmm. guys going into the land and saying, "Listen, honey, um, you're attractive. They are going to want to take you from me. I think the best thing we could do is just give you over." Yeah. 
Let's let's just not put up any kind of fight at all. Right. I'm not going to defend you. In yeah. fact, I'm just going to promote it. Right. And say you're my sister. Go for it. Uh, and and sort of leave you out there. So thanks one. Thanks for taking one for the yeah. team. Yeah, it's not not very alpha of them. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Oh man! All right, moving okay, on. moving on, moving on, moving on. Okay, so uh, then after that, after the return from Egypt, um, we have this this rescue of Lot. So Lot is is kidnapped, and uh, Abraham goes out to rescue him. Comes back, is successful in that endeavor, and we get this Melchizedek character that shows up, um, and uh, and Abraham has some some interaction with him, and then we have the God God making this covenant with Abraham in Genesis fifteen. Which is a really uh, powerful, I think, episode in in what's taking place. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. What is what is the episode that takes place there, and why why do you see that as powerful? Yeah. So one of the things that happens is, as God comes and is kind of reaffirming and kind of unpacking the promise that He initially made to Abraham a few chapters before. Um, there's this scene where, um, as the sun's going down, the, Abraham falls asleep. And then there's this darkness that, that falls and, and, and what, what happens is we have this smoking fire pot and flaming torch that end up passing through these animals that have been divided. So the animals are kind of torn apart as part of the covenant process and, and essentially those who were part of the covenant would walk through it symbolically saying, you know, should I not keep this covenant May I be torn apart like these animals? But what's interesting in this instance is that God, you know, symbolized by this smoking fire pot and flaming torch, passes through. But Abraham does not. So God is essentially, you know, confirming this covenant, taking on really the burden of this covenant um, away from Abraham, uh, which is really a, a really meaningful episode, I think, especially when we when we begin to look down the road at at how ultimately things would be fulfilled. Yeah, it's, and I think that's a great point, right? We we look at this covenant being made mm-hmm. and the role that Abraham plays in being called by God, we've already discussed, is nothing. Right. And and now that the covenant is being fulfilled, it is given to him not in ceremony, but in a vision while he is asleep. Right. And in that vision, he doesn't see himself even as a partaker yeah. in the establishment of the covenant. Yeah. This is God establishing the covenant. That's what we were talking about earlier when we said that uh, God is the sole curator of his plan and that uh, he is the initiator of the redemption plan, mm-hmm. right? This is mm-hmm. this is God's plan and God is going to do his thing for his glory and for the benefit of mankind. Right, right, yeah. But what, what's unfortunate is that immediately after this, um, Sarah, who still hasn't had the promised child yet, comes up with this idea to uh, give Hagar, her servant, to Abraham. Essentially, this is this is people trying to wrest control of the outcome uh, from God, and and it it doesn't work out according to her her plan, does it? Yeah, yeah. So like, so she she comes in and she says, "Here, take take my slave girl," mm. and so he does. Mm-hmm. And she becomes pregnant, which was the plan, that, yeah, the stated planned. plan. And and as soon as she becomes pregnant, now all of a sudden Sarah's like, no, not good. <laughs> yeah. She's got to go. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> she pulled a bit of a one eighty. On and that and one. then she then she calls on Job, and she's like, "You got to get rid of this girl. I don't I don't like the way she's acting. I don't I don't like what's going on here at all." It was mm-hmm. her idea. She didn't like it. That's what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that that mankind would come in and say, "This is th- this is the plan that God has given. I understand the plan of God, mm-hmm. and now it's up to me to bring this about." Yeah, uh, it, it's an impatience of mankind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it it shows the short sightedness of mankind that mm-hmm. sometimes this thing that what we think we want we don't even really want Mm -hmm. and what we think is going to be a fix is most definitely not the fix and and just to learn to wait upon the lord yeah yeah it's so human to complain about the circumstances that came about as a result of our own faithlessness like that's just such a human thing right like it's really easy to be critical of sarah in this situation but you know as we reflect on our own lives you know so many times where you know we try to force the situation a certain way we think we know what's best we take a particular course of action against what you know might scripture might mandate or what what just seems to be wise and and then then we cry out to god complaining about our situation we're unsatisfied with with our lot in life when when we've gone ahead and ruined the whole situation Right, right, yeah. So what's next? Next is then the visitation of the Lord and His angels, uh, leading up to, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll talk. Let's talk about that first. The, the visitation of the Lord and His angels, um, the the angel of the Lord appearing to Abraham, um, along with two others. Is it three men essentially? Yeah. So th- this this creates some exciting discussion. Mm-hmm. These are these are some fun things to look for while you're reading. What, what's it called when the Lord visits His people? A theophany, a theophany, or a Christophany. That—that's your opportunity to put the uh, the education to practice. That's right. right. There. That's, that's right. That's seminary money well spent. <laughs> yes. Uh, the theophany, that opportunity that to, for for not just an angel to have been sent, but for that angel, that messenger of God, to be God Himself. Mm. And and Marshall, why is it that we would look at this and say, is this potentially a theophany and not necessarily just a messenger sent by God? So it's the it's the phrase the angel of the Lord that is often speaks as the Lord and is also often worshiped as the Lord. It's a, it's a distinction from other angelic appearances. So not that we know, like it, we don't want to fall into the trap of saying, yes, we know for sure this is pre-incarnate Jesus here, 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 and here. Um, that's the temptation, even for myself. But um, it is something interesting because oftentimes throughout Scripture, and we're gonna we're gonna cover these other these moments later on, particularly throughout the Old Testament, that these appearances of 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 messengers from God, of the angel of the Lord, are going to happen, and uh, they're interesting encounters at the very least. Yeah, I, I think I think as you're reading it this week, I just read it with that in mind and ask yourself the question: Are is is this messenger? actually the Lord, mm-hmm. um, or is it someone who has been given special privilege to receive that kind of language and that kind of praise as yeah. a messenger on behalf of the Lord? Mm-hmm. Uh, because because scholars kind of go both ways on it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I'm with you. I tend to think that it is a pre-incarnation of Christ come and as the Lord, and, and he receives that sort of uh, worship and he he uses that sort of language, mm-hmm. um, which is a curious thing. Yeah. And, and I I agree, it's enough to say this is a curious thing, mm-hmm. uh, worthy worthy of our our discussion, yeah. and and worthy of our consideration. Yeah. Uh, and so read it with that consideration and, and yeah. see what you think. Yeah. And if you're interested, I mean, a lot of ink has been spilled on this subject, and so you know if it's something you you do want to look into on your own, <laughs> there's there's plenty of stuff out there. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no no true consensus on what exactly. Um, is going on here, but something interesting nonetheless. Um, and then following this episode, then we have um, the famous story of Sodom and Gomorrah, particularly, you know, Lot's 
uh, Lot and his family being rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah is kind of a, a key part of that. Yeah, and, and and again we see description over prescription. Right, right. <laughs> that that Lot would say, "Don't take my guests, but you can have my daughters." Yeah. Right. I mean, we're both fathers of little girls. Yeah. And uh, I would say unwise Lot. Uh, unwise. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty. Pretty. Pretty evil. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, what's interesting too, and, and you had kind of mentioned this earlier in our, in our discussion, you know, lots lingering, you know, these, these messengers from God come and they're, they're, they're urging with him. You need to get out of here lot. You need to get out. And he's just lingering and, and not, you know, coming up with excuses of why they can't leave, um, and, and end up being kind of rescued by, by force. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of him playing into, uh, the, the social pressures, Mm-hmm. of his day in the same way that we would, right? right. Like he, he goes to his sons-in-laws to be, mm-hmm. and they think that he's joking. Right. And they treat him as if he is. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of pushback from his wife, not mm-hmm. ready to leave. And mm-hmm. so rather than just coming in and saying, this is what the Lord has commanded us to do through his messengers, we are going to be obedient. He hesitates. He mm-hmm. he sort of uh, waffles kind of back and forth. And uh, and yeah, so the uh, the city's destroyed, but his he and his uh, family to to some degree— are, mm-hmm. are saved. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, then we have an, the next kind of, uh, chapter in the life of Abraham is, uh, they end up kind of dwelling amongst uh, the Philistines again with, with a guy named Ab- Abimelech. And, uh, I like to call this the sister wife act part two. Um, essentially <laughs> Abraham pulls the exact same stunt that he had done with Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and again, like just you rack your brain at what 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 is he thinking like why why does he think that this is this is a a good idea i have no idea and in fact i i wouldn't even just say that abraham has to be questioned in this mm-hmm. i think we also need to talk about abimelech uh mm. that had happened in egypt is one thing mm-hmm. but we know for a fact that sarah at this point is at minimum mm-hmm. 99 years old yeah and abimelech says hey check her out mm. maybe she wants to be my wife Mm-hmm. And he takes her as such. Yeah, right. This is a this is a lady that's taking care of herself. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <right>. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> because because at at ninety nine plus, Abraham is saying, "Hey, listen, they're going to just like in Egypt, they're going to come after you. Yeah, and and if we don't just hand you over, they're going to come after me. Yeah, seriously. So to save my skin, we're going to turn you over <laughs> yet again as a sacrifice for my own. Uh, yeah, for my own skin. Oh, and yeah. uh, and so he turns over his. Nearly, if not already, hundred-year-old wife yeah. to Abimelech. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, finally, after that episode, um, we get the birth of Isaac. Um, so Isaac is finally born, um, which is kind of the, the most important thing about Isaac uh, that he does is just be born. Um, yeah, because Isaac Isaac is the child of promise. Yeah, and there are things that happen to him, mm-hmm. but he does nothing to progress the narrative. No, no. He's 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 a bit of a loser, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he's essentially a nobody. He you know he's, he's at most insignificant. Yeah, I, I I think yeah most insignificant. There that's a little bit more charitable. Uh, then we have I mean the climax of the whole of the whole reading I would say in chapter twenty two is Abraham's um, sacrifice of, of Isaac, right? And the an, another opportunity for a theophany. Sure, maybe, yeah, seriously. Seems that way. Yeah, seems that way. Yeah. I, I, I kind of go back and forth on this one, but it, it seems to be that uh, if he is not the Lord speaking, he is speaking as if he is the Lord. Right, yeah. 
And, and without dropping the sort of prophetic, thus says the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true, too. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I have a question for you about this. Tim. Okay. Did Abraham know that God was going to provide a substitute? Okay. So this question comes up because when when Isaac asks, where is the lamb? He says the Lord will provide. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so people couple that with his talking to the the servants to say, stay here, the boy and I will go and we'll return. Right. Right. And so they say Abraham knew all along, God had told him in, in part in this, that he was going up to do this. But in the end, there would be a substitute given for him. Mm. I don't see how that could ever be the case. Yeah. At, at that point, the whole story is ridiculous. Yeah. It's a moot point. Mm-hmm. It's all a charade. Yeah. You're just going to go up there. You're going to tie him up. You're going to do this thing. The, the point of the story is we are supposed to be moved by the faith of a man who would say, you have given me this son, this thing that I wanted more than anything else, despite yeah. all of his other failures. He, he exacts this moment of absolute faith. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of it, God provides his own way in such a way as to forecast for us what would happen when God would do this himself with his own son and would carry it out for the sake of humanity to be mm-hmm. a true sacrifice. And, and, in, in, and if it was all a charade, then it's, it's pointless and it's meaningless. Yeah. And so I, I just can't buy that. Why, why would he say to the servants, the boy and I are going to go and sacrifice and we'll be back? What else is he going to say? Yeah, right. Is he, he going to say, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to take my son, I'll be back in a little bit, but I'm going to kill the kid while we're up there? Right? Like, he, he's not going to say that. Yeah. Surely, maybe there was hope against all hope that such a thing would come to pass. Mm-hmm. Maybe he trusted the Lord in this act of faith and believed that it was possible that this could come to pass. I, I think that's absolutely mm-hmm. within the realm of reason. Did he know for certain? Surely not. Yeah. Surely not. Right, right. I mean, I think, you know, Hebrews kind of alludes to the fact that he may have had faith, had faith that that God could raise his son from the dead. Sure. But but I don't I don't think he had any indication that there was going to be, you know, a ram in the thicket. Like that's kind of, you know, right. That's beyond. I think that's beyond what what uh, what scripture gives us. So yeah. And we, he calls the place Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. Right. The, the place uh, which we always translate, uh, the Lord provides. I'm mm-hmm. particularly not a Hebrew scholar, but I do know that it that it actually means the Lord sees the Lord mm-hmm. is watching. The Lord is concerned with the affairs of mankind and in overseeing that has has stepped in and provided a sacrifice in this case. Uh, but it's uh, it's a beautiful story of faith. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and then uh, I guess the last the last kind of major episode. So we have the life of Isaac again, not uh, not not a significant player in uh, in the narrative. And then we have uh, the episode of between Jacob and, and Esau. I think is one of the things worth worth mentioning. Uh, Esau, you know, who sells his birthright for a bowl of stew, right? Trading long term blessing for short term satisfaction. Oh, yeah. Mm. There's a sermon in that. I know. I know. That, There's probably many sermons in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, impulsive, appetite-driven. You know, I uh, it's painful for me sometimes to read this uh, this Jacob and Esau narrative because I, you know, I at times can really be, you know, this uh, an impulsive kind of person. You know, flying by the seat of my pants and and uh, you know sometimes appetite-driven, right? Um, and uh, to see kind of the short-sightedness and how Esau got burned for. Just his lack of foresight is uh, is something worth saying. But I mean, Jacob Jacob's not particularly a great character either. I mean, they're they're both kind of you know they both fall short in, in their own way. 
Yeah, and, and that's something we we have to recognize with the patriarchs, right? Mm-hmm. So this this section is called the the patriarchs. It is the those fathers of the faith that sort of set up uh, the time leading to the Exodus. That is the the patriarchal period, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the patriarchs are the fathers of the faith, mm-hmm. but but in that they are they are very human. Yeah, they're very human. They make lots of mistakes, and we are reminded time and time again that it is the Lord who is bringing about this work, and not the righteousness of man. And and we are going to see that repeated through every one of the patriarchs. Yeah, every one of the patriarchs has his shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there might be one exception we'll we'll get to later. Uh, but I I would say as you read this, just sometimes people like to say that the the God of the Old Testament is the God of judgment, the God of the New Testament is the God of grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. I think you can read these stories, and, and not just these stories, but the later stories of Israel, mm-hmm. and realize God is the God of grace and mercy in both Testaments. Amen. Amen. Right? Yeah. Like that he would be gracious and merciful and continue to do his work and bring about his plan through these people is grace. Oh, yeah. 100%. And mercy. Yeah. All right, so that's that's a look at the trees. Now highlights. What are what are the things that stood out to you most, those things that, that got you most excited uh, in this week's reading? I think one of the things that was maybe lost on me in the past, one of these details, and, and they kind of jumped off the page at me, was when when Lot is kidnapped, uh, Abraham gathers the 318 trained men of his household and goes out to rescue Lot. And not only that, but like he has this like battle plan where he is like able to overcome them. And, you know, sometimes you just think of Abraham as like this dude in a tent. But obviously, you know, the Lord blessed him. You know, he had, you know, he had this, this retinue of people with him. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to, to kind of imagine Abraham on horseback, you know, like slaying Canaanites. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I think my favorite part of that is that you worked in the word retinue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any, anything else that would stand out to you as a highlight? Um, we got to talk about Melchizedek, right? We, we do. We do. We yeah. do. Right. His, his name means King of Righteousness. And it says that he's king of Salem, which is king of peace. So the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Uh, Abraham, you know, gives a tithe to him, uh, honors him greatly. Um, He's an interesting, interesting character. Right, because he's not a part of the promise. No. He exists outside of the promise. As far as we know, yeah. The promise to Abraham. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't just show up here and disappear. He comes back. Yeah. There, I believe, a psalm. Yep, yep. And then he'll show up again in Hebrews. Yeah, plays a big big role in Hebrews actually. And, and and the author of Hebrews just assumes that we know who Melchizedek is and why it is that he was favored. Yeah. And Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. And we're supposed to know what that means. Yeah. So but it, but it's a mystery. He's this mystery character. Right, right. And I mean some people have alluded to the fact that, you know, this is another one of those Christophanies. Um, you know, my uh, I've had professors that uh, strongly disagree with that. Um yeah, he's just this mystery man. I think that's what makes his character so compelling is because we don't have a full picture, but we know he's important somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, so I, I we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I think the way that Job is rescued is really— Lot. Is, uh, Lot. The way that—thank you. The way Lot is rescued is really important to me. Uh, I, I love that in his own personal struggle to follow God, mm. God still rescues him. Because that's his plan. Yeah. And God essentially drags him out, right? It takes him, his wife, and his daughters. We, we notice the son-in-laws-to-be are not in the story anymore. Yeah. They, are, yeah. they are explicitly not in the story. Yeah. Uh, and expressly not with Lot and his daughters in the end. Right. Um, and, and, and yet God essentially drags them 
out of the city. Mm-hmm. And when they find themselves placed in the point of salvation, it is only then that Lot is grateful for his salvation. Yeah. And at the end of the story, notice this when you read it, that at the end of the story of them being taken up out and into the hill country, they give him instructions and he says, hey, I, I, I got a better idea, God, right? Like mm-hmm. here, he is, here he is still taking things into his own hands. Uh, but, but in that story, he also takes time to say, this is grace and mercy that yeah. you would rescue me. Yeah. Right, rescue me even against my own will. That yeah. God would save us against our own will, because that is what He is going to do to bring about His plan. Yeah, no, uh, that... He is not going to leave His behind, and He is going to be faithful to His plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, a moving thing and, and a great reminder uh, yeah. of of the grace and mercy that God has for His people. And I, I love that. Uh, I, I was also struck, and, and we talked about that uh, about this this morning coming over here that. Uh, there is there is the recurrence of Abimelech, yeah, a second time, where the son of Abraham is going to offer his wife up and say she's my sister right. and not my wife, uh, and and there's a little bit of confusion in that because in in chapter 21 there's the story of Abimelech and then 26 Abimelech yeah. again, yep. uh, how old is this Abimelech cat? Can it be the same guy? It might be. Yeah, it, it might be. be. It might not be. It might not. Yeah, yeah. So my uh, my Genesis prof uh, was explaining to us that uh, Abimelech just it means my my father's the king. So it could it could theoretically be a title like Pharaoh, but yeah. I, but even even in that case, so it's, so it's the one Abimelech. Son, like you'd think this would have been you know like you know son look out for guys passing their wives off as their sisters right like this could have been this this thing. so in the, you know at the very least it's still kind of a sketchy situation. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by Alex Walker. Have a good day. Take care, everybody.